Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, and we're off. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Inside Try Show. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Try Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week, I am on a self-supported bikepacking cycling adventure. It is called the Pan-Celtic Race. You should totally go and check it out and get dot watching if you aren't already. But rather than leave you without a podcast... This week and next week, you are going to find out all about strength and conditioning. Thanks to British triathlons, strength and conditioning coaches, Matt Croyle and James Langford. So here is part one of the interview. James Langford and Matt Croyle, welcome to the Inside Tri Show. Um, James, we're going to kick off with you and then people can at least hear different voices because we've got two people, two guests on. James, tell people a little bit about you and who you are. Uh, yeah, so like you said, I'm uh, James Langford. I'm um, currently the strength and conditioning coach for British Triathlon based up in Leeds, um, which I sort of split my time two days a week doing that role. And then I work in the private sector for the other three days a week. Um, and I've been well, I've been at Tri now. I've sort of been at Tri probably for around 18 months. I think it's now maybe just a little bit less than 18 months. So basically since the Tokyo Olympics um, and then in the previous cycle before that, I sort of was with um, GB Taekwondo for a bit, GB Boxing for a bit, and then in Rugby League and Union prior to that. So an array of different sports. But yeah, I find myself in um, in the world of try now. In the world of endurance sports. Nice. And then Matt, a bit about you as well. Yeah, so my name is Matt Croyle. Um, I'm based down in Loughborough. So I work across both the Olympic and Paralympic uh, sites down in Loughborough. Um, previous to, so that's that's three days of my week and then the other two is with British shooting which is quite a unique sport um 
and then yeah I guess previous I've I've been here for 12 just over 12 months now and previous to that I was kind of based in very multi-sport roles so worked at quite a few different universities with like a plethora of different sports so a real mixed variety with some endurance sports mixed in there um, which kind of led me on to my role within endurance sport now. Fantastic so Matt do you want to tell us right what exactly is strength and conditioning? I'm yeah. glad you asked this question because I was like weirdly this is the hardest question to answer. <laughs> It's definitely the hardest question to answer. Um, and I kind of, I guess I put it into kind of two strands. So when we talk about, I guess, first of all, the, the literal sense of the word strength and conditioning, a lot of sports when they use an S&C coach will need that conditioning component. Whereas in triathlon and particularly in the, in the roles we're in, we have physiologists and coaches to take care of that conditioning side. So, um, but conditioning can, can be used in a different sense in terms of conditioning tissues um, such as muscle, tendon, bone. So, I kind of split it into two strands. So first of all, optimizing health. That would be a really key one to ensure that we've got really good training availability so we can tick off the swim, bike and run sessions that we need to. So optimizing health around tendon, bone, muscle and just immune system as well. And obviously that extends outside of S&C to nutrition and, and sleep and recovery. And then the other strand for me would be around optimizing performance. So improving the athlete's ability to absorb force, transfer force into the ground and pedal, as well as the water, um, and then kind of like the structure and periodization as such around around their training. So they're the kind of two strands I would I would block what as S is into. Yeah, I've never I've never ever thought of it in that way at all. And this is why we have two experts on, definitely. <laughs> James, why right, why does all of that matter within endurance sport. So Matt was saying about being able to kind of take on that training load. Yeah, I think so. S&C is very different in how it can, in my opinion anyway, how it can influence lots of different sports. Um, but I think particularly when we come to like triathlon endurance sports, the inherent like repetitive nature of the sports themselves and also the sheer volume that anyone taking part in them needs to do them to kind of perform well um, or to perform to a good level means that the likelihood is you're going to encounter some overuse injuries. Like Matt was saying, you know, you're going to probably have some inflamed tendons at some point in your training. Like it's just what happens when you start to push your body to those kind of limits that it can tolerate. And then that's where the strength and conditioning side kind of comes into play because I suppose it's our role in the gym to try and then expose you to some kind of loading above and beyond what you might get in the sport so you know whatever forces you might get through the floor when you're running it's kind of mine and Matt's jobs to try and prepare your body to be able to tolerate them like if you're putting out 180 watts on a bike 160 watts on a bike it's our job to try and prepare your body to be able to tolerate that and repeat it um sort of as you're racing so that's that's the big thing for me as to why it matters. It's it's primarily around making sure that you can endure the sport and basically be able to do as much training as you need to do to progress in the sport and not have something physical kind of be your limiting factor and be what's holding you back. And Matt, I know that, uh, you know, I, I'd be a typical age grouper as well. And there's only so much time and you think, I, I need to get my swimming done. I need to get my biking done. I need to get my running done. Oh, this week, maybe, you know what? I don't actually have time to go to the gym. Do you, is that a, a normal thing that you'd hear? Um, 
Yeah, definitely. I've not worked with loads of age groupers. I have I have worked with a couple in my time on kind of like a casual private basis. But primarily, obviously, with working with world-class athletes, generally, they, they're pretty well drilled in. So they have all day, so they're able to create that space and that, and that time for it. But I can understand why someone working a job trying to train for an Ironman or 70.3 is going to have those challenges. But for me, it's just around trying to, well, first of all, understand like what SNC is, which hopefully this will help some people, but then actually understanding, okay, I know why it's going to help and how it's going to help. Um, it's about creating that space for it and almost putting that kind of importance on it um, and understanding that it's important. I think some people will end up finding out it's important once they've been injured. Um, which is probably the, the typical way of finding out. James, you are nodding your head as well as I was nodding my head there. What were you going to say? <laughs> yeah, no, I just, just agree with what Matt says. I always think particularly for anyone who isn't in an environment where they're not forced to do S&C, but like S&C is put on a schedule for them and they haven't allocated time for it. Like most people's first interactions with the gym will be because something's gone wrong. Like they've they've pulled a calf, they've torn a hammy, they've done something, they've gone to see a physio and the physio said, you need some gym work. And then that's probably how I would imagine 90% of people listening to this podcast probably encountered the words S&C put together. Yeah, but that, and I think that can be part a, a massive part of it. And obviously we'll kind of talk more about this, but is, okay, fine, I'm being told to go to the gym what should I be doing? Like that, that is one of the key things. Like how do you, how do you know what the heck you should be doing in the gym? Oh, it's a big, it's a loaded question. That isn't, that's a big one. Uh, I'll, I'll try first. Um, I think one of the phrases that I always come back to is the idea of making the priority, the priority or make the main thing, the main thing, um, which particularly for anyone who's maybe like an age grouper or more of a like a weekend warrior recreational triathlete let's say like ultimately what you do in the gym is going to come down to how much priority and how much weight you need to put on the gym like if you're injured at that moment in time it's probably going to be quite a lot um and i'd like to think that if someone seems some kind of physio they might like advise you on it but if you're not approaching it from a injury standpoint it's probably going to be a little added extra that's something that is hopefully going to give you benefits somewhere in your program. And the way that I'd kind of approach that is go like, what's the reason behind why you're doing S&C? Like, so for anyone who's maybe thinking about wanting to do it or doing it and not too sure where to start, is like, okay, when you when you think about S&C, what's the reason? Like, are you doing it just because it's something that you feel you need to do? Or is it a thought process that's gone on that's like, I'm just, I'm a step behind on the bike. Like, I'm not generating the power that I feel I should be. So that's why I want to bring in some strength and conditioning or it's I don't feel like I've got an extra kick on the run and it might be something to do with my my lower body strength or something that is holding me back. So it's if you're really time limited and you want to begin to bring in some S&C, like I always go, yeah, like what's what's the main thing? Like what's the priority behind it? If it is I want to improve my power on the bike a little bit, you know, I want to be able to generate some more torque through the pedals and Maybe it's as simple as just going into the gym and doing some leg press or some squats or something lower body. If it's more around the run, it might be carbs, but kind of being really quite logical about S&C and almost asking the question of, yeah, what, why do you want to do it? Like starting there instead of just thinking, well, it's something I should do. Like, why is it something you should do? And almost work back from that point. And that'll help give you some context around, 
yeah, what what you should be doing in the gym, hopefully, anyway. So useful, honestly, already. We've only just started, James, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is brilliant. Um, Matt, does strength and conditioning vary for people of different ages? Like, is it important for pretty much any athlete of any age to be actually doing some S&C? Yeah, I think it's important across all age groups. And I think it's just there's certain things you'll dial up and down um, across those ages. And and in particular, I'm thinking kind of youth athletes at the moment. I can't remember the exact research off the top of my head, but I know that like obviously bone injuries, we see some bone injuries within triathlon um, and like peak bone density is is built up by somewhere around late teens, early 20s. I can't remember exactly where it is. So, for example, ensuring that they're exposed to a variety of sports at a young age and a variety of different movement patterns is really, really important, not just for that reason, but also to just get them better at moving. So they've got multiple ways they can move, because obviously, like James alluded to earlier, it's very repetitive, swim, bike, run, those three things. By getting them to move laterally, we load different tissues and structures in different ways. And that can be not just SNC, but that can at younger ages can even look like just playing different sports, which is why I'm a big ag- advocate and James probably is as well of, of having like a multi-sport background as a, as a kid, um, which obviously swim by run is multi-sport, but also just different stuff within that. So it's important for children in, in that respect from a development point of view and not to just tunnel them down one path. But um, I guess we see going back to what James was saying with, with some of our athletes, sometimes there'll be a really high input importance put on SNC for improving swim and like the ability for them to be able to catch and pull really hard through the water. There's obviously loads of other stuff that goes into that, but there might be a specific project around swim. So it becomes SNC becomes really important for them then. Whereas others like some of our athletes, uh, we have a couple in particular are kind of doing really well and um, particularly on the para side where actually snc plays a different role for them and it's not about like i need to push on and put loads of time and energy into three snc sessions a week they can have quite a not a laid back uh snc program but one that isn't really trying to push the boundaries so it plays different roles and i guess that comes into into more their where they're at in their career as opposed to age um but again i think we do see those bone injuries. So in terms of being able to put them on some different forces, um, resistance training is, is one way which we can help load bone um, in a different way to it's, it's loaded uh, across swim, bike and run. So I think that's really important across ages. But ultimately, some of the actual exercises and the actual adaptations that we're trying to make wouldn't really change over those age groups. I think the interesting thing around the question of like should different age groups be engaging in strength and conditioning as well is is quite an interesting one because like Matt alluded to some of the research there if you look at some of the research around kind of physical qualities that strength and conditioning might help you with and their correlation to sports performance like the higher you get up the pyramid the less correlated they become so if you're looking at probably like your top end elite guys there's probably very little that you might do within a strength and conditioning program that's actually going to like directly correlate to performance. But what you do tend to see, and it's reflected in some of the w- research around swimming and cycling in particular, is like actually the the lower down that tree you go, the more physical qualities will carry over and correlate closer with swim times and like bike times. So there's also an argument for some of the age groupers that whilst there is a 
definitely a big part of you just need to be really technical in your swim, bike and run if we're talking triathlon. Like, actually, it could be suggested as well that at that younger age, improving physically would probably give you quite an advantage over other people that you are maybe racing against as opposed to when you get later on into the stages of your career. And I'm not saying that everyone who's a budding triathlete now just drops everything and goes to the gym five days a week at all, but there is kind of a rationale for at a younger age, it's probably going to give you a bit more of an advantage than it might do as you start to get a little bit older. And and what about at, you know, the, the other end, like someone in their sort of 60s or, or, or 50s or 60s, like what role does it then play? I think what, if you're going down sort of as you start to get older, like one of the biggest things that we see as people start to age is a big decrease in bone density, a big decrease in muscle mass. And all of that kind of leads to a decrease in function, whether that be, you know, day to day, but also in sport as well. And there are forces that you can put your body under in the gym that you probably can't replicate through going for a swim, definitely a swim in particular, but like or running or, or on the bike. So if you, I suppose, looking at the older age group, there's definitely a, a strong argument to be said that it will help keep your muscle mass high it'll help keep your strength levels high it'll help keep your keep your bone density um kind of in a better place which is all really going to increase the likelihood that you can continue to race and compete and put your body under these repetitive strains that endurance sport is for a longer period of time and so it's probably going to buy you that time to yeah just to do what you love a little bit longer than it might do if you didn't do it yeah i love that love that and matt what what about the are there differences between males and females and the importance of all of what we're talking about um it's a really good question i think for me when you when you're on the ground in our gym sessions there probably isn't a massive difference between males and females the gym sessions where you know there's probably similar adapt depends on the program with similar adaptations we're chasing and we'll do them all in the same way like ultimately the body is going to react with the same signaling pathways. So the exercises we use to achieve those adaptations are just going to change individually rather than based on sex. So that's probably, probably my answer. That was a bit of a boring one, really. For me, when it comes to programming differences between men and women in endurance sport, like there isn't really any. Um, not that you would make program based off, off the sex anyway. Um, it would just be a case of, because ultimately everyone's trying to swim, bike and run, right? It just might be different speeds of swimming, different speeds of biking, you know, um, different speeds of running. But a lot of the forces everyone's going to undergo are going to be quite similar. So it's just a case of trying to – the first thing that me and Matt always think about if we ever sit down and write a program is, like, what, what are the demands placed on this athlete? Like, what is this athlete trying to do? And for anyone in endurance sport, a lot of that is very, very similar. So, no, I'm, I'm with Matt. Like, if you were to look across – some of my programs for the guys in Leeds, like if we scrub the names off the top, you wouldn't look across at one or the other and say, you know, this is a female program. This is a male program. Like they all look very similar. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And talking of programs, right? Let's just let's just pretend we have uh, an athlete, okay? An, an age group athlete uh, preparing for. An Ironman, um, let's go next year, gives a little bit more time, right? Let's say they've got, I don't know, nine or 10 hours a week to to train, right? And I know you'd want a little bit more information about this person, but we're going to have to go a little bit generic. We could work with it. Where would they begin? Like, what should they be doing in the gym? So... I mean, I'd, I'd put it back to that initial thing of like, okay, what's what's the reason for going to the gym? Like, So let's say, for example, it's because they're struggling with something around their, their calves start to aggravate them a little bit when they try to increase too much distance running, for example. Um, for someone who's really, really time limited, like the approach that I probably would persuade people to take and would take myself if programming for someone like that would be, well, let's just tick that box. Like if the only reason that you kind of really want this strength and conditioning input to, to give you benefit when training for an Ironman is X, well, actually, let's just focus on X because I think quite often people can get a little bit caught up in the idea that, right, I need to go do my strength and conditioning session, which that means then I, I need to go in the gym, I need to warm up, you know, I need to get my blood flowing, I need to start to sweat a little bit, and then I need to do this for my lower body and this for my hamstrings and this for my upper body. I need to do some pull-ups because I'm swimming and I need to do some calf. But that really isn't it. Like that's, that's just a session. Like strength and conditioning really is, it's more targeted to, to help you kind of prepare for your sport. So in situations where people are really short on time and it's something that I know I do and Matt will do with his guys when like, when they're racing, like as soon as we get into the races and a lot of our guys are very short on time, and they don't get quite as much gym time as they do. So there's an approach that you can adopt called microdosing. And the idea is basically instead of instead of having maybe one or two gym sessions a week that you feel you need to do, you just basically break that down and kind of spread it over the course of a week. So it, it could be something as simple as if someone was preparing for an Ironman, like actually after they've been on, let's say they've been on a run, like after they've been on their run, when they got home before they walked through the door and hopped in the shower, like they just do some calf raises on the step outside. Like you do three sets of 20, three sets of 25 calf raises on the step outside. And then you come in, you have your shower, whatever. Next time after you've done your swim, most pools tend to have little gyms in there. You just dip upstairs into the gym. You do three sets of six, 10, whatever it might be, three sets on a leg press or on a goblet squat or a back squat, whatever the exercise is. And then you grab your bag and you head off to work or you head off to school or you head off to wherever you're going. And you almost adopt your your gym approach that way. So instead of it being one session that you, you're looking at in the week and think, right, I need an hour to do this. Like, actually, you just break it down and kind of spread it out throughout the course of the week where it works. And you kind of prioritize what needs to be done. So if it's calf stuff, for example, you just tag it on the back of a run. If it is some lower body stuff to help you on the bike, maybe it is 
you tag it on the back of a swim because like I say, most pools have a gym somewhere. Um, but the other benefit of that then is like if you're doing calf raises off the back of a run, you don't really need to do this 10, 15 minute warm up to prepare for them because you've come off a run, you're already warm. Similarly, if you go for a swim, this, so you already knock some time off the gym session that way anyway. Um, and it's a really good little approach to, to kind of not overwhelm yourself with too much S&C work. This idea that I need to get to the gym for an hour and I just don't think I've got time. Like everyone's got time to stop on a step outside their house and, and do some calf raises. Like if not, I'm going to question why you went for a run in the first place. Like you've not got time for that run. But yeah, it just, it takes kind of maybe the overwhelmingness of I've only got nine hours to train. I haven't got an hour for the gym. It completely removes that and just means that you can do something. And like I say, that's a very similar approach that we might take to some of the professionals we work with in season when I might not see them in the gym for four weeks because they're at different races. Matt might not see them in the gym for four weeks, but it is just a case of, hey, after you run, just do X and Y. And then that's the important stuff. The rest, we can pick up when you get back. Um, but that would be that would be the way that I would initially look at it if someone was saying they didn't have a big block of time to be able to go to the gym and, and get a full session done is actually what's important and then spread it throughout the week in a way that works. That is great advice. And Matt, what about if, um, I know you've said about the microdosing there, James, which, um, yeah, super, super advice. If we say that, it, you know, it's not the it's not race season, but actually someone just lives so far away from a gym and with everything else, it's just really hard to actually get to a gym. Matt, what can someone do if they don't have any access to the gym? What kind of home based exercises should people be doing? Yeah, I mean, there's there's low. I think a lot of people have ended up with some bits and bobs from COVID lockdown, those dumbbells with the spinny collars on the end in particular. Um, but you've got those, you've got like obviously bands, like a lot of our athletes will travel away, like James just said, to international races. And they, for whatever reason, need to keep it in X, Y, and Z. And sometimes we utilize bands to and, and just body weight movements in order to do that. Obviously, some movements do require heavier loading, um, particularly it's like for tendon based stuff, but there is still stuff you can achieve using body weight. So body weight and bands. Um, and then outside of that, almost going back to what James was speaking about, um, like adding on on the start of runs as well, utilizing that warm up and utilizing drills. Um, and like, say you do have like a bit of an, an Achilles tendinopathy, use, utilizing some like isometrics around that, if that's working for that person, like before their run within the warm up, um, before drills, and then utilizing drills in order to get move forwards into that run. Um, but yeah, there's there's loads of ways we can achieve loading with bands. Some stuff does require some heavier loading, but you can you can alter the way you program by so if you wanted a heavy isometric, we could go for a longer duration, which is a little bit different, but it's just a way that person can achieve a similar stimulus. And Matt, could you give some examples of how what what kind of drills could you do in in a warm up? Yeah, so I would probably start fairly extensive in a in that like a drills warm up. So by extensive, I mean we want kind of lots of low level uh, impacts with the ground rather than jumping straight in some really high level, high intensity impacts. So you would want to start things like pogos. Um, so we do a load of different pogos split up around the week in different pieces places. Sometimes they'll be within a specific drill session. Sometimes it should be 
within a warm-up for a run like we're speaking about now or sometimes they'll be within the gym and we can do them in loads of different ways and they're one I do use quite a lot so you've obviously just got on the spot you've got forwards sideways backwards um, which are obviously going to put different forces through the body through the hip knee and ankle but particularly around that ankle Um, we can band them so we can do resisted ones so uh, one I was just doing kind of 20 minutes ago a few athletes was band um is wrapped around something really heavy it's not going to move um then it goes around their hips and they're going to like face in different directions and do their pogos on the spot and then you've got some lateral forces um going against the body uh, basically which is which is really useful for for bone loading particularly i think there's some research around the the neck of femur um so around like kind of bone loading around the hip um but aside from just pogos you can obviously progress there on things like ankling i think my triathletes call it chicken feet um uh rotating ones there's just loads of different stuff you can do and then you get into your more generic a skips uh b skips if you want and and some kind of higher intensity stuff so generally speaking when we're going into a warm-up or a drill situation where you're warming up using the drills we want to start off um fairly low impact work our way at some higher intensity stuff um and just get a good volume of ground contacts in so that the calf is warmed up and you're going to have to explain for those that don't know, what is a pogo? Uh, yeah, good. Good shout. A pogo is um, so a form of plyometric. So probably best to clear up that term first. By plyometric, I mean um, basically a really quick ground contact. And we can put an amount of time on that. But to keep it simple, a really fast ground contact. So a pogo is going to be on two feet um, and you're basically going to jump into the air. And then when you land, most of the movement is going to happen at your ankles. So your knees stay fairly fixed. And basically, you're going to attack the ground with your ball of foot as hard as possible and get off the ground as fast as possible. So that's what it is. And it can be done at varying intensity. So the way I just described it was quite an intense way of doing it. You're trying to get off the ground as fast as possible and as high as possible. Uh, Whereas you could do it as a fairly easier, like you're just going to attack the floor. But yeah. James, it's um, like... Are there any specific exercises that would help someone get stronger? You mentioned before about the catch and the pull for the swim. Are there specific things that you could do to to work on that? The swim's an interesting example because if you... I sort of got into a little bit of a hole looking into some of the swim research recently around what what physical qualities are suggested to kind of influence the swim. Um, if you actually look at the research within that, it's very mixed and kind of it, it comes back to my point earlier where actually if you if you find much research that shows, you know, pull-ups was put in as an intervention and it led to X amount quicker swim times as a very loose example, but as an example, like that was all in relatively young athletes that were quite untrained, which sort of comes back to my point before about if you are a young age grader, there's probably more benefits of physical stuff than others. Um, but if you, if you speak to our um swim coach up at Leeds Russ whose background was British swimming he was British swimming for a long time like he's really set on being strong in a pull-up has a good carryover to a swim so much to some of the athletes in Leeds discussed this off-season like they've done more pull-ups than they can probably count on hands feet and everyone else's hands feet in the gym um but so yeah if you, if you ask him like he would say that getting really strong in like a, a horizontal pull so almost like a you know like a front crawl type motion is going to carry over to the pool, particularly if you're doing any speed sets. And um, that that is what he would say. The research would be a little bit grayer, but you can't 
you know, deny a swim coach with Russ's experience on what he's saying and what he sees. And um, so, yeah, some of the feedback from us doing a lot of that this year from him has been positive. So I'd say in, in the swim, it's probably a little greyer, but there are definitely things that can be improved in the gym there. I think the, the way that I almost, th that I've started to think about try is when we talk about the gym, swim's a little grey, like it might improve, it might not, but it's probably still worth doing something just in case it does. Like bike's probably where you're going to get most of the carryover from the gym in terms of a physical quality, improving what you can actually do on the bike. And then when it comes to the run, it's just about trying to make you robust enough so that you don't injure yourself. Um, that's kind of my very short view on try at the minute, but yeah. No, I like it. I like it. I, I have a few questions on that, actually. Okay, so a pull-up, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do a pull-up at the moment. What could I do to be able to get to the point of being able to do a pull-up? What are the initial steps? <laughs> yeah, so there's there's lots of different ways. I have kind of a progression that I run people through. The, the first step is, obviously, if you're in a gym that has bands, then you can use a band. Um, I... I personally tend to stay away from the band if someone can't do a pull-up for the first time. Um, so what I tend to try and do, and I hope everyone listening is good at visualising this, is kind of put a bench underneath the pull-up bar, um, put one foot on top of the bench, almost as if you're going to kind of step up onto it, grab the pull-up bar, and then kind of just put enough force through your foot to be able to help you with the chin-up. Um, the thing with the band is it it makes the bottom of the rep the sort of the easiest and the top part of the rep a little bit harder as you start to lose tension in the band and different people will have different points that they might struggle at with the pull-up. Others might be from the very bottom. Others might be more mid-range. So by putting your foot on a bench and doing a pull-up assisted in that way, it's a good way for each person to be able to individually adapt it for what they need. Like once they've then got to a point where there's very little force going through the foot into the bench to help them pull themselves up, I'll then start with some like eccentric. So actually hopping yourself up to the bar so almost whether you need to stand on a bench or jump up hold the bar and then spend somewhere between four to six seconds controlling yourself down um you won't do many reps of that before you just bump like you've gone and you're through the floor but that eccentric loading is a really good way to help improve strength and generally if you've if you've been through those progressions a little bit so using your foot and then doing some eccentrics by the end of doing a good block of those I'd like to think you shouldn't be too far away if not able to do your first sort of chin-up or pull-up. Yeah, that's that's the progressions, I'd say. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. That is it for this week. Thank you very, very much for listening. Matt and James will be back with more advice all about strength and conditioning on the podcast next week. You will find discounts with Form Swim and OTE Sports in the show notes over at insidetryshow.com. Until next week, though, happy racing, happy training. Get dot watching if you're not already. And we'll speak again next week. Podcast Network.